Welcome to episode 36 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast and Skate and Destroy Part 2. We're going to skate, we're going to destroy, we're going to get arrested and end up in jail for a night, yes? We're going to go back in time to the late 1980s and my degenerate late teenage years in this episode. Oh, what a time to be alive, the late 80s, yes. Do you remember the 80s? Were you even alive or born yet in the 1980s? We're going to take a little diversion before I get to the episode at hand and get find out a little bit of history of the 80s. Maybe not history, but kind of what was going on in the 1980s here. Here's a quote from a HistoryChannel.com page that's about the 80s that might shed some light on what was happening in the 1980s. By the end of Jimmy Carter's presidency, the idealistic dreams of the 1960s were worn down by inflation foreign policy turmoil, and rising crime. In response, many Americans embraced a new conservatism in social, economic, and political life during the 1980s, characterized by the policies of President Ronald Reagan, yes, the Gipper, Ronnie, fucking Ronald Reagan, uh, yeah, often remembered for its materialism and consumerism, the decade also saw the rise of the yuppie, an explosion of blockbuster movies and the emergence of cable networks like MTV, which introduced the music video and launched the careers of many iconic artists. Yes, trickle-down and supply-side economics, uh, Reaganomics, which led to the largest budget deficits in the history of the United States during Ronald Reagan's eight-year tenure as president. The federal government accumulated more debt than it had in its entire history. Right, A little over 200 years of government, and in eight years, the fucking Gipper ran up the company credit card to never-seen-before levels of insane debt. Oh, and there's a thing where Reagan and Reaganomics basically set the wheels in motion that would end up almost destroying the middle class, and they're still working on that, and also reduce the majority of Americans to kind of a working poor status, while people like Reagan and his buddies get to live that luxurious 1% lifestyle, yes. The Reagan Doctrine regarding anti-communist policies in Grenada, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. Anybody remember the Iran-Contra affair? Hmm, hmm. Anyone? Anyone? No? Oh, no, no. Hmm, I'm sure most of you don't. So yeah, Reagan's a big memory of the 80s for me. All the punk bands talk shit about him, and rightly so. I kind of didn't get it when I was a kid. I was like, why does everybody talk? She's just the president. He's a fucking moron. He's an old, weird actor, dude, right? And everybody talks shit about him. All the punk bands did. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, well, here's why. There are good reasons to talk a lot of shit about Ronald Reagan. He was a massive fuckhead. He really was. Ronald Reagan and his administration set the wheels in motion for the destruction of democracy in the United States and, hell, worldwide. I mean, he... His administration began the process of destabilizing so much shit. It's not all his fault or his administration's fault, but they were part of it for sure. Let me say this. I mean, when the pitchforks come out, all these people in control and their little 1% fucking buddies are all getting burned out of their compounds by like thousands of people. You can go back and thank that economic and political savior of the conservatives, Ronald Reagan, for that. Good luck people today conservative-minded people they fucking love reagan oh my god we need more leadership like ronald reagan in this country he'd steer us down the right path my ass what the fuck yeah that's bullshit okay i'm gonna stop talking about politics in the 80s that shit was pretty fucked up people do still love reagan 
those people are not very smart, I don't think. I'm, I'm very sorry if that offends you. Uh, I am sorry about that. As this is not an actual political episode. This is about skateboarding music and uh, stupidity. But the, the Reagan shit was pretty stupid, so I had to throw that in there. Okay, yeah, there you go. There you go. Another thing about the 80s, uh, yuppies, big movies, cable TV, especially MTV. Those were all big things in the 80s. Materialistic and selfish yuppies, yes. That is still kind of the norm, isn't it? The goal to achieve and get mine before anybody else gets any, own all the good stuff. That's still a big part of the American life, the American dream that we've come to know since the 1980s. Movies like E.T., Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Cable TV and MTV, yeah, well, video did. It did kill the radio star, didn't it? It sure did. It Well, maybe. I don't know. Let me say this about MTV. Speaking of video killing the radio star, MTV brought stuff like Public Enemy into our living rooms, and that changed the fucking world. Like hip-hop and rap, that definitely changed people's perspectives on the world in general, and especially what was kind of going on in inner city America. I'm t- I wish I could talk about the 80s like this all night because there's a lot to say. There's so much crazy shit going on. That's not why we're here. Like I said, we're here to talk about my days of being a kid, doing kid things, getting in trouble, drinking, skateboarding, you know, punk music, stuff like that. Okay. And that does involve the 1980s. So this, the way this is going to go, I'm going to start this episode somewhere around 1987, 1988, and it's going to end just before... The 90s and the rise of the, uh, the Jinko pants. Yeah. Jinko, remember those? Uh, J-N-C-O, right? Do you know what that stands for? Judge none, choose one. Yeah, Jinko pants. I kind of, I really want to, st- also, I not only talk about the 80s, I kind of want to skip ahead and just start talking about fucking the Jinko pants phenomenon. Because holy shit, can you believe, you can still buy those pants. Do you know how much they cost for the big pants? The really gnarly, huge pants? Two hundred and fifty fucking dollars. I'm not kidding. Go online, Google that shit. Oh, you can buy the kind of like regular ones for like sixty bucks or something. Why you would do that, I don't know. However, the big, huge tent pants, yeah, they're two hundred and fifty fucking. What the fuck? Who buys that shit? Oh boy, but that's it. This country's fuck. This world is doomed. We're we're in the judgment. We're in the we're in the last days. You know, we we have to be with pants like those. Still floating around and going for $250? Uh, judgment be upon us, I believe, is uh, what I'd like to say. Holy mother of God, that's, it can't be real. I do. There are links to prove it. I can totally prove it. Well, let's get back to skateboarding, okay? The song that was playing at the beginning of this podcast, yes, that was Seven Seconds. What does that mean? Seven se- Whoa, Seven Seconds? On the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast? Ooh, yes, indeed. That song was called Here's Your Warning off of 1984's record, The Crew. There's going to be a few more songs. I got three more seven-second songs coming up, plus a little interview thing that I did with Mr. Kevin Seconds himself. Yes, on the Bobcast. That's, fuck yeah, man. That dude, Kevin Seconds, is such a nice guy, like an incredibly nice and awesome guy. I'm so happy he answered my questions, wrote back to me. Dude, yeah, he's a great dude, so let's... uh. We'll talk about that in just a sec. I'm so stoked he also let me play some songs off the crew because that was my favorite Seven Seconds record of all time. I think it still is. There's some newer ones that are fucking incredibly good, too. There's a there's what I feel to be like the crew part two. I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. Okay, let's talk about beer before we get too much more into Seven Seconds. The beer of this episode, 
is a little stroll down memory lane for me, just kind of like this episode itself. This episode's beer is the Black Sunshine Sour Stouts, and that features a pleasant 8% alcohol by volume from Plan 9 Ale House. Let me, let's just check that out again real quick. Go back down memory lane, down memory uh, gullet here. One, one moment. Yeah, that's, ooh, that's good. It's good. It's, it is very sour. I think I said that the last time I drank it on an episode. It's sour and it leaves like kind of a bitter sour aftertaste. That's a, it's a very good kind of sipping, chilling out beer, Netflix and chill with your sour beer. That's a little too timely, isn't it? Too non sequitur or something? Eh, I don't know. No, it's a good beer though. I would try. I would if I if I was out having dinner or something like that, whatever it would pair well with, I'm not sure. Because I don't know jack shit about beer pairings. But that this sour it is actually it's really good. Not a big sour guy, but yeah, I like it. All right, Black Sunshine, Plan Nine Alehouse. Thank you, Plan Nine. We are gonna hear a little bit more from Plan Nine Alehouse a little later in the episode too. So, so you know, stay tuned for that. Now back to seven seconds and Kevin seconds. Here are the interview questions and answers that we did via email. I'm going to read the question, and then I will also read Kevin's response to me. Question number one, where and when did seven seconds start? Did the band start in Reno, Nevada? Who was in the original lineup, and who was in the band on the record, The Crew? Kevin's answer, my brother Steve and I formed the band in 1980 in Reno, Nevada. There was another punk new wave band called Bellevue that were playing around here and there, but no real punk scene to speak of until later that summer. The lineup on the crew was me, Steve, Dan Posniak on guitar, and Troy Mowat on drums. Question two, speaking of Sacramento, what is good there these days? Seems to me like there's been an explosion of really good bands lately. Off the top of my head, Sad Girls Club, Bastards of Young, Danger Inc., Lightweight, and so many more. How have you seen things change in Sacramento over the years? Kevin's answer is Sacramento has never had a shortage of bands and great ones at that. Currently, my favorites are Your Friends and Frack. Destroy Boys is pretty great, too. As far as the scene here in Sac goes, it's definitely rolling. I don't go out to many shows these days, so I'm not super involved, but shows are happening all the time. Big theater shows, club shows, basement shows. Question three, The Crew. Anthemic for most that love seven seconds like me, but also timely even now lyrics-wise. Songs like Not Just Boys Fun and Colorblind specifically come to mind. Does it seem to you that issues like sexism, specifically in the punk scene, and racism need to be addressed and fought now more than ever? Would you say things have improved, especially within the scene since the 80s regarding sexism and racism? Kevin's answer? Issues like sexism and racism will probably always need to be addressed. Whether bands and artists addressing it helps or not, I'm not sure. Bigotry is everywhere, and new strains of it pop up regularly. People can be extremely ignorant and stubborn in their fear and hatred. It was going on before I was born and probably will go on long after I'm gone, unfortunately. Question four, speaking of the 1980s, this could be a very broad question. How would you compare punk rock now to punk rock in the 80s? Is it a lot safer going to shows now? That's just an example. Is there anything that comes to mind when comparing current punk stuff with punk stuff during the 1980s? Kevin, safe. Less sketchy. More money involved. Bands grew tired of being fucked over, but then went overboard with how they conduct themselves and their business, and that built the template for how everything is these days. There is still some fire and passion out there. You're just not going to find it 
at a big warp tour type of show. Very good. Question five. What are some things that make Kevin Seconds happy other than music? Did you ever skate? Basketball? I thought Drop Acid did a basketball theme record, but I couldn't find anything about it. Does art make you happy? Kevin's answer, I pretty much live to make my art and music. I live a very simple life. I love my wife, Allison, and our dogs and cats. I was never a good skater, so at 58, I avoid getting on a skateboard these days. I throw around a basketball every once in a while. All right, good. He is an active dude. The side note here, let me interrupt uh, my own speech. Kevin is very active dude. I think he's in, like he said, he's in two bands now. He does his solo stuff. He does a bunch of rad art stuff. Yeah, he's a very active and busy dude. So check it, check him out. I'll put links up on the website. If you actually go on my website, check it out. There will be links to some of his ventures. It's all rad stuff for sure. This is a stock question for the Bobcast. Where and what type of burrito is was the best burrito you've ever had? If you like burritos, that is. I don't know of any place that makes shitty burritos. Now, see, that's a true diplomat speaking right there. That's a nice dude speaking right there. I mean, a burrito is a burrito. I'd have to say that the best burrito I ever had came from a joint in the Mission in San Francisco called La Cumbre. Back in the 1980s, we didn't really have a place in Reno to get a big, burly burrito, so it was a huge treat whenever we were in San Francisco to go to La Cumbre. They were huge and cheap. It might still be there. I don't know. Kevin, let me tell you, I did check. It is still there. The address is 515 Valencia Street in the Mission District of San Francisco, Check it out if you're in San Francisco. I will the next time we're there, just based on Kevin Second's recommendation. What's coming up for you? Didn't you just form a new band? Any tours, new records, solo stuff? What's going on? Kevin's answer, I actually have two bands at the moment. I've been playing in a band called Unsteady Heights for a couple of years now. That is a lot of fun. And I just started a band called Gimme an F, which plays its first show in Sacramento at the end of January. So that's coming up. Uh, my wife and I have a quieter, folky project called Hank and Lulu, and we're doing a record together, which will be great. So, okay, that was it. Thank you so, so much, Kevin Seconds. I really appreciate that. That was awesome. I'm going to say this now. I do want to tell you guys something. Me reading questions and answers from interviews, I think I'm going to change that in upcoming and future episodes where it's actually going to be an, a phone interview with whatever band is kind of... Uh, the band of the episode. So like in the last episode, you know, I did Grumpster, Sarcasm, and Get Married. I think what I'll try and do, and I was really pushed for time on that one, what I think I'll do in the future is actually do mini phone, like 10-minute long, you know, five, 10-minute long phone interviews. Just so you guys know, I think it's going to end up, will be a better way to go than me reading my questions and then this, the person's reply. So let me know what you think. Uh, feedback, email me, bob at iwantapartywithbob.com. I'm on Facebook, of course, Instagram, all that crap. So yeah, reach out to me, Twitter. Even you can you can totally tweet at me, bro. And just let me know what you think about that doing that versus me reading the interviews. So there you go. Okay, so here is another seven seconds song for you. Clenched Fists, Black Eyes, that so perfectly sums up that sing-along and rad spirit of seven seconds here we go.
here. Beck, one more thing about seven seconds before I get into the skating and the destroying. Have you heard the record, take it back, take it on, take it over? Fuck it. Holy shit. What a record. That's an amazing, amazing record. That record came out in 2005. For me, that record is like the crew part two. It's so good. Check it out. Seriously, I celebrate all of Seven Seconds' catalog, but that's a record you need to listen to, you need to get. It's so good. It's so, so good. I, I think it's kind of a masterpiece. I think that's maybe not their apex, but the Seven Seconds apex, that's a damn, that's a damn good record. Also, 2014's Leave a Light On. God damn, that is a phenomenal record. Okay, by the end of the 1980s, let's say uh, 1987-88-ish, I was still hanging around the skate shop Rock Socks a bunch daily, pretty much daily. The whole crew, all of us would meet down there to skate and hang out and do stuff. Let me give you a list of names of some of the people that were around Rock Socks, the, the crew. There were kind of two different crews. We all kind of blended together. So here's a list of some of the people that hung out down at Rock Socks on more or less a daily basis. Brandon, Andy, Jeremy, and Bobby, Pete, a fellow by the name of Anarchy Owens, Sergio, my buddy Steve, who I'd known since like junior high. It's this dude we called Indy, a little rat faced kid named Mikey. Uh, he was a rat kid too, though, super rat kid. He was like 10 or 11, and he was drinking fucking 40s with us. Holy shit. Simon, our buddy Scotty. That's a small sample. And that those were all the people who skated. Those were all the kids who we skated with. There was probably there's a bunch more than that, too. I'm sure I missed some people. The other people that would hang out, and these were more like the punk rock crowd that didn't really skate or anything like that, but they'd hang out down at Rock Sox. We'd do all kinds of stuff together especially go drinking, go to shows, yada, yada. There's William, James, Robbie, Michelle, uh, Bill, Vicky, Jason, Francine, good old cross-eyed Chuck, and Chuck's dad owned some Nazi uniforms that we saw one night. Chuck brought them out of the closet. That was interesting. Uh, There's this dude named Shitbutt. No, I'm just kidding. There was no dude named Shitbutt. Would I hang out with somebody named Shitbutt? Yeah, probably. Back then, for sure. There there were many, many more people that we hung out with. I'm sure I missed a bunch of people. So I'm sorry if I missed you and you're listening to this. Email me. Uh, you know, reach out to me on the uh, good old social media. And I'll do a correction in the next episode and say, hey, I missed this very important person that I hung out with that I am too fucking old to remember. I'm very sorry about that. There you go. What kind of things were we up to? What were we doing? Well, Fire. I, fire apparently was a big part of our activities back in those days, well, sort of. There were a series of dumpster fires around downtown Escondido sometime in the late 80s. I think it was around 88. The fires, they were in the news and everything. The cops had no leads on who was doing the serial arsoning of dumpsters around downtown Escondido. But for the record, for the record, this is very important. No one in our crew had anything to do with those fires No one that I know of. No one ever fessed up to it or admitted it. We were all pretty tight. Somebody, I would think, would have fessed up to it. We did end up getting fingered for it briefly. Here's the story. See, one night, Pete, Mike, and I were skating around downtown Escondido. 
we saw a dumpster on fire. Now, we knew, we had heard about these fires. It was in the newspaper, on the local news, all that good stuff. So being the smart fellows that we were, we stopped to watch the show, watch this dumpster burning. Of course, the cops pulled up, you know, told us, yeah, get on the ground, okay? Get up, that, sit up against a wall, okay? Fire department came up. They put out the fire. The cops held us there for about an hour. They threatened to arrest us. They told our friend Pete he looked like he was doing heroin. And how'd you get those track marks on your arms? What's that from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't have fucking track marks. That dude never did heroin. Never. He, that dude was clean as a fucking whistle, man. It, Jesus Christ. We're sitting there up against the wall, talking amongst ourselves just for a minute. You know, like I laughed. Maybe Mike said something a little funny. And one cop turned to us and said, shut up or I'm going to shut you guys up. Oh, fuck. Okay. The cops did search us. They found my matchbook. I had matches in my pocket. I did smoke then. The cops then took the matchbook as evidence and told me that once forensics went through the dumpster, if the remains of any matches in that dumpster matched the tears in my matchbook, that I was going fucking down for arson. I was the serial dumpster arsonist of the late 80s Escondido downtown region. I was the arsonist, yeah. They let us go. They did, after, like I said, about an hour, because we had fuck all to do with that fire, and those assholes knew it. They were fucking with us. They were totally fucking with us. That happened all the time. Those cops hated us. All these little punk kids rolling around on our skateboards, our little scooter boards, Looking weird and fucking cops, man. Now, some of the cops were actually cool. Refer back to the last Skate Destroy episode where I talked about the cops that caught us doing some underage drinking, made us dump out our 12-pack of beer, face City Hall, put our hands on our hearts and say, I swear I'll never lie to another cop again. Those cops were actually cool. Some of those cops were not fucking cool at all. The real huge, huge dickheads. One time, and I wasn't there for this one, but this story got relayed to me. Mike was skating in an old abandoned building. It was an old pick and save near downtown Escondido. The co- a bunch of people, they set up like a launch ramp. It was this huge, like, you know, department store type thing, a gigantic place. They put launch ramps in there. They were doing all kinds of shit. All these Mike and a bunch of other guys, the cops came in. One of the cops, you know, made them all fucking sit up against the wall, the usual shit. One of the cops went up to Mike, and Mike had had run-ins with this cop before and told him, I want to bash your fucking head in so bad right now. Told this kid, he was like, Mike, poor Mike, dude, he was like 17 years old, just a kid, and this cop was like, told him he wanted to fucking kill him, more or less. Yeah, yeah, bad cop, no done it, asshole. Uh, Speaking of abandoned places, we seem to hang around a lot in old abandoned places. There was the Haunted Pool that was out in kind of the rural part of West Escondido. There was this old Victorian house, this old abandoned house, right up the street from Rock Sox and across the street from Palomar Hospital that we would hang out in all the time. We'd bring, like, flashlights and candles, smoke weed, drink 40s of beer that we fished for down at the 7-Eleven, Listen to tapes on somebody's boombox. Then there was a really old abandoned school near downtown Escondido. We only got to hang out at, I think, maybe once or twice before something went horribly wrong. Uh, yeah. See, one night, a bunch of us went to this old school, and we were partying. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was partying. It was a winter night. It was cold as shit. 
So somebody had the bright idea. Well, let's light a fire. It'd be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Cold, fire. Fire fixes cold. Sure, it does. It does. I don't know who lit that fire, but someone lit a fire on the stage, the wooden stage of the old gymnasium and almost burned that whole fucking building down. This building was like a hundred fucking years old. It was really like, it should have been classified as like the historical building or something like that, but it had been a church and then the church couldn't afford it anymore or whatever, moved out. Then they were condemned, you know, condemned, going to tear it down and build condos or some shit. So yeah, uh, the fire got pretty gnarly being on a wooden stage. We all heard sirens, a lot of sirens, and we got the fuck out. I mean, we bailed. We were gone. There were like 20 or 30 of them. There was a ton of, like, we scattered like rats off a sinking ship when the, we heard those sirens. Now, we went right down the street from this place, kind of hid in some bushes and watched. We could kind of see what was going on. And, oh, fuck. Oh, boy. Yeah, there were like uh, some uh, close to probably 20 fire trucks pulled up cop cars oh it was a fucking hole to do holy shit i swear to god if we had gotten caught watching this whole thing go down there were some of us in that group of people that would have gone down for arson for sure oh boy that would have been jail time that would have been really bad i mean we were like 17 18 ish maybe at the 18 at the most like i said i really don't though honestly like i really don't know who lit the fire who was like hey i got an idea let's make a fire and get warm yay yeah yeah i don't know i don't know doesn't matter too much it was getting torn down anyways uh, like i said now it's condos and those condos have probably been torn down by now and rebuilt anyway so we did have a million other misadventures that crew going to shows partying all all these like old haunted houses we'd skate abandoned pools you know we'd go uh, one time we went to Disneyland for the grand opening of Star Tours. I drank a whole bottle of Robitussin to get fucked up, specifically. Ended up puking on the Jungle Cruise. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. The captain of the Jungle Cruise boat actually said, while I was puking off the back of the boat, Hey, everybody, look at this guy. I get paid to make a fool out of myself, but this guy's doing it for free. <laughs> oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> oh, God, I deserve that. <laughs> and you know what's even funnier? I didn't get kicked out. They let me stay in Disneyland. I don't know why the person on the boat didn't, the captain didn't call security and say, hey, I'm this like drunk kid, because I'm sure it seemed like I was drunk. Oh, no, no, it was even worse. I slammed a bottle of Robitussin to get fucked up. Oh, dude, I was like hallucinating and shit. Oh, boy, that was fuck. The things you do when you're a kid to get fucked. If my son ever does that, I'm going to fucking beat his ass, by the way. Pardon me. I don't advocate beating your children by any stretch of the imagination but boy he'd be in so much trouble for that um yeah mom if you're listening you know you can't punish me now i'm 50 great uh besides just hanging out and causing trouble at rock socks i also eventually ended up having a job there yes i did it was a dream job for a little skater kid working at his favorite skate shop that was so so rad now the owners were herb and katie shelton so i'd sell skate stuff clothes records that kind of thing I was doing grunt labor, helping them build their house in the Hidden Meadows area of North Escondido. Just grunt work, just total like shit work. But God, I loved it. I was outside, totally loved it. Middle of the summer, hotter than shit. I was like 18 years old. I didn't care. It was great. And I was making good money doing it. I also babysat 
Herb and Katie's son, Corey. That was my favorite aspect of working for that family was taking care of that kid. I think he was a year. He's probably a year, uh, maybe a little older, maybe closer to a year and a half or two when I babysat him. And that went on for quite a while, I think maybe close to six months or so, something like that. So what would how it would go down, I'd go into work at the skate shop. Katie would watch Corey for a while. Then we'd trade off when she, you know, she got – he because he was a handful. You know, any kid, like around one and a half, two, when you're with them 24 hours a day, that's gnarly. They are a big handful. So we would trade. Katie would then work the skate shop side, and I'd go take care of Corey. I'd go you know hang with him. What we would do, Corey and I, 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 he had like a little backpack baby carrier. (laughs) It was so rad. Pop him in there, and we'd go walk all around downtown Escondido, go walk into stores. Like there was a comic book store. I'd always go in there. We'd just walk into all these different places, go to 7-Eleven, check stuff out. It was really, really cool. I would also babysit him at their house. Whatever they needed me to do, I was kind of like their guy, you know, to do whatever. It was a really, really good time. I loved it. Now, Corey and I, little baby Corey, we were kind of inseparable. I'll never forget, never forget how when I would walk into Rock Sox and he was there, how he would call out to me, Bob, Bob, hold me, hold me, Bob. Like, <laughs> it was so great. I was like Uncle Bob, you know, yeah, pretty cool. He was a great kid, man, super great kid. Unfortunately, Herb and Katie did end up splitting up not terribly long after I worked for him. You know, maybe, I don't know, a year or so after I kind of stopped, or maybe less than that. I'm not really sure. I had already gotten another job working, like, really, really full-time, like 12 to 16 hours a day. And I just kind of faded away from, you know, Herb and Katie and Corey and the family and had, like, a serious, gnarly job, right? I was really, really close to them for a long time. I definitely look back on those days with a lot of happiness and love. It was a great family. Now, at the end of that whole period of me working for Rock Sox and yeah, I don't know, some bad stuff happened. Okay. I'm not going to get into it here. I'm just going to leave it at that. I got to say this on November 18th of 2011, Herbie Shelton passed away. I have been in touch with Katie kind of through the years here and there in 2011. We had been friends on Facebook for a while and actually interacted every once in a while. would talk every once in a while after Herbie passed his son, Corey, the baby that I watched inherited the house that I kind of sort of helped build a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, pretty cool. Katie got a hold of me and said, hey, can you come over to the house and help us move some stuff? We need help. You know, her brother needed help moving some stuff out of the house. Corey was inheriting it. They were kind of cleaning things up, getting it all sorted out. I said, yeah, of course. It was like two days before Christmas. And it, I lived in Escondido at the time, so it was super easy. So yeah, of course, I'll come over. I hadn't seen Corey since like, 1989 or 90 or something like that when he was a little kid now he's in his early 20s and that kid this little kid that I used to carry on my shoulders like in a little baby backpack was fucking like a foot taller than me Katie introduced me she was like here's Corey I was like holy shit dude so of course I said the thing that all people who would take care of babies or whatever say to them when they're adults and haven't seen them in a really long time. Oh, boy, I sure can't carry you now, can I? Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, fuck. Of course I said that. Of course I said that. He's a good kid. He turned out great. Turned out really well. His mom's solid as shit. Katie, Katie White, 
as she goes by now. A wonderful, wonderful woman, wonderful person. Has always been a great friend. Yeah, and Corey came out a great, great kid. And that house, what a gnarly house that I kind of helped, you know, piece together, whatever. I don't. It's a little bit like the Winchester house. It really is. There's all kinds of like, especially outside, there's all kinds of like winding and secret paths through all these boulders and these weird little secret gardens. And the house itself is literally built around several giant fucking like house-sized boulders. Part of the inside of the house, like the living room, is this massive boulder. When Herb kind of designed it or whatever, that was his idea. Build it around these rocks. The lot's gnarly. It's like a really short, flat area, and then it just dives down into this kind of canyon. And he built it on stilts. It's a crazy place. Like, super crazy place. Okay, so the last thing about Rock Sox, before we move on to part two of this episode, Rock Sox had a team of skaters that the shop sponsored, and guess who the team captain was? Ooh, can any guesses? I'll give you one, two, three. No, no, it was me. Yeah, yeah, it was me. You guessed. You guessed, yes. Yes, sponsored skater, captain of Team Rock Sox. That was me, Bob, of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Yep, me. That was fun. That was actually really, really fun. We would go to schools and do demos. We'd skate in contests as members of the team, all kinds of rad stuff. At these school demos, uh, ask this question, who was the MC during the demo? Who would announce, okay, and coming out now is team rider, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, that was me too. Uh, me, me. Yep, I'd stand there. We had Herb's PA, you know, that he used for the band Fatal Attempt, like I mentioned in episode one of this series. Skaters were doing their thing on lawn tramps and all this other shit that we had brought with us to skate on in these schools. I did get in trouble one time for saying something very smart-ass. I can't remember. I made a really, like, kind of off-color joke at an elementary school in Solana Beach. Um, not the most appropriate place in the world for me to say something like that. However, 18-year-old me thought it was fucking hilarious. The principal of the school did not and approached me and said, you know, if you say something like that again, I'm going to kick you guys the hell out of here. I said, okay, okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I won't say anything else. So I zipped my lip, kept my smart-ass side, you know, stuffed it in my pockets, and uh, the show went on. Those were some fun times. Rock Sox days were rad. I missed a ton of stuff there. I covered some things that really stood out for me, though, like working there and the story, you know, the fire stuff. Uh, hopefully, that was some good stuff. Now, before we move on to part two of the episode, we will have a few words about Plan 9 Alehouse and another song by 7 Seconds. This is my favorite 7 Seconds song, and it is called This is the Angry Part 2. Also note in the Plan 9 ad coming up, you will hear the worst impersonation of Darth Vader you will possibly ever hear in your entire life. Stand by. Here we go. What did Darth Vader say when he sensed Luke for the first time? I have a bad feeling about this. Well, there are no disturbances in the force. At Plan 9 Alehouse, just the finest beers available anywhere. Just listen to these dark side selections. Black Sunshine, an 8% alcohol by volume sour stouts. The California Nightmare Porter, a 7.3%. American Porter with Honey, and the Stout Who Cannot Be Named, an 8.666 
alcohol by volume Imperial Stout. Plan 9 also has many, many more delicious and wonderful beers. Even a Dark Lord of the Sith can't resist, so release your anger. And get down to Plan 9 Ale House today and check out some of these dark beers because you don't know the power of the dark side until you try them. Plan 9 Ale House is located at 155 East Grand Avenue in Escondido, California. You can reach them by phone at 760-489-8817 or on the dark web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Plan 9 Ale House, beer for the people. Welcome back, and this is part two of this episode. This part is going to focus on doing stuff with Gator and getting in trouble. It's kind of like Trouble followed that guy. Yeah, Trouble did follow him because he kind of personified, Gator kind of personified Trouble. I think he was a gnarly and Trouble guy. We're going to talk about Gator from the perspective of how I knew him you know, shortly after we met and as we became friends before that terrible, horrible, and tragic event that he's been in jail for since then. So I just want to be very clear here. I'm not trying to glorify him in any way. I'm telling my story. I'm telling the story of my life. That's one of the things that I do on this podcast is talk about certain aspects of my life and things that I've done things that might be interesting to people. I got to say, back in these days, the tales that I'm going to tell on this episode, this last part of this episode, he was a good friend in those days. We had no idea what he was going to do, obviously, or we wouldn't have been his friend. But in these days, he was a good friend. He was part of our little skate gang. We had a little skate gang that Mike came up with called RSD. That's Robert Sam David. Phonetically, the actual name, I could have just said the name of the fucking gang. Uh, Rabid Skate Dogs, yes, RSD or Rabid Skate Dogs. No shit, that was a thing. Gator was a member of our little gang. Now, in the last episode, part one of Skate and Destroy, I mentioned that I lived right down the street from him, didn't I? I think I did. Eh, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, he lived about five or six blocks from my house, and he lived with his mother, with his mom. Now, keep in mind, at this time when we met him, 
he was in his early 20s. I think in 1988, he was 21. He was making, also at that time, that dude was making big fucking money. At least a couple hundred grand a year, at least. And he lived with his mom in this weird little, like, well, not weird. It was just a normal house. I mean, it was a little three-bedroom tract home in Escondido. They did have a pool in the backyard, though they did. And I did swim in that pool with Gator alone, just me and him. Gator was wearing a Speedo. And that was really weird for those days. Uh, Yeah, that was fucking weird experience. I'm not going to talk about that. One night, Mike Gator, Gator's brother, and I were all, we were partying. We were hanging out at his house, at his mom's house and his house, and we were fucking partying. Now, Gator's older brother, and for the life of me, I cannot remember his name. I always said it was like Mike or something. Fuck, I don't know. Anyway, it kind of doesn't really matter that much. But Gator's older brother was this like mustached party dude. He was older. He drove a black Corvette. And he was totally, totally like the creepy 80s movie older brother that would like buy all the kids beer, you know, to hang out with the kids. Kind of a great, weird dude, right? He was nice. So he was actually nice. He was pretty normal other than the like creepy factor. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't that creepy. But it was kind of weird that he would hang out with us. But yeah, he'd hang out with us every once in a while. He was actually kind of a voice of reason to Gator's like craziness. To his just like, ah, let's go fuck shit up. He was like more, no, 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 Mark. Like, chill, dude. Relax. Sit down. Let's have a couple more beers. And then you go to bed, okay? Oh, man. Okay. Well, this night, Gator's brother was just as crazy as Gator. We went on a beer run in the brother's uh, Corvette, yeah. We were racing down this main drag in Escondido. It's called Valley Parkway. And we were blasting down this road at like midnight, going 100 fucking miles an hour. I'm not shitting you. Blowing through every red light on this street like like for like a mile. Like just dragging. Going 100 down this little like four-lane road, right? Two lanes each way kind of thing. Now this is a Corvette. This is kind of the sporty Corvette. Mike and I, uh, we were stuffed in the, like, trunk hatchback area of this thing as there were only two seats in the car. And holy shit, after we almost died several times, we did make it back alive to Gator's house and we kept drinking. At one point, we decided that if we grab the boombox, take the weed that we had and some uh, reggae tapes down into the storm drain that was right across the street from Gator's house, that'd be a fucking great idea. That sounds like a perfect way to kind of end this night. And we did. And we went deep into this storm drain system across the street from Gator's house. There's this huge access pipe, right? We had to climb over this fence, get this big access pipe. You could stand up. It was like six feet tall. And you could walk through this access pipe into this underground storm drain system that went like for miles underneath the streets all around that part of Escondido. Now, once you got in... You had to go down this, like, really... There was water in this pipe, too, okay? You had to go down this, like, gnarly kind of waterfall part. There was probably about 20 feet and a pretty steep embankment that went kind of down. You So we had to go down, like, on our butts, kind of scuttle down. And there's water around. There was a dry spot. That's where we went down. Then you had to kind of trudge through this nasty water that was maybe, I don't know, a half a foot deep or something to get to where the water finally stopped running and it was dry, so we camped out. And it was probably about a quarter mile away from where we started from when we entered these pipes, this this storm drain system. 
So we started playing some reggae. Hey, why not? Um, it might have been Steel Pulse. I'm not sure. And we started singing along and smoking some of the ganja. Yes, I'm partaking of the ganja a few minutes, maybe 10 minutes after we started our little weed and reggae party in the pipes under the streets of Escondido. We were greeted with flashlights, barking dogs, and the voices of some very angry men. Yeah, there were about eight cops up there wondering what the fuck was going on. We heard them. We could not see them. So they said, what are you guys doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. We're like, oh, we're just hanging out. What a, I, you guys get it the fuck up here right now or we're sending the dogs in after you. And we're like, oh, fuck that. Okay. Yeah, we surrendered. Oh, yeah. Game over. Uh, we surrendered. We got out to the, the part where it kind of opened up to where you could see all eight of these cops arrayed at the top of this kind of waterfall section. And one of the dogs ran down the waterfall section after us, kind of um, more tumbled down a little bit. And the cop, the handler of that dog, went after the dog so he wouldn't fucking kill us. And uh, he all slid down the waterfall, got all fucking wet, and was not a happy, happy guy. And that was the beginning of our night getting, like, really, really fucked up. Yeah, for, it was all downhill from there. It might if he that cop hadn't slid and fell down that waterfall part, we they probably would have been like, "You guys get the fuck out of here, go home." Oh no 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 no! They were taking us in after that, and they did. Yeah, they arrested the three of us, took us into the station. The cops separated the three of us during the booking and interrogation process. Now, here's something very interesting that was going on in the late '80s with cops. Cops were undergoing. A lot of training on satanic and cult and occult things, let's just say. Because, oh yeah, that shit was totally a threat back then, wasn't it? Oh no, it wasn't. What it was, it was like evangelicals freaking out. Bands like Slayer and Venom. And they, these people like, oh my god, they're Satanists out there. They're going to sacrifice all the white babies, all the white ones. They can take the other colors. We just want them to don't kill the white baby. Yeah, that kind of shit. So seriously, I think you look it up, satanic activity in the 80s and how overreactive people were to like a completely non-existent thing because of all these like televangelists and evangelical fucking nutcases, right? So they actually trained cops on how to handle satanic and occult things, especially where kids were concerned. Well... Looks like we might have been right in that, uh, you know, that kind of sphere. Um, yeah. So they questioned us, and Satan was the forefront of their mind, at the forefront of their minds. What were you guys doing down there? Uh, you know, we were drinking, smoking, uh, listening to reggae. No, no, no. Don't lie. You guys were having a ritual. That's what the neighbors who called this in said that they could hear you guys having some kind of satanic ritual under the, the streets. What the fuck were you guys doing down there? No, no, no. Honestly, we were singing like along to Peter Tosh, and we were high as fuck. The, you know, on and on and on. They did not believe us. Finally, they were like, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, you guys are, it, yeah, it's pretty clear. You guys are just idiots. Okay. That was one of the fucking funniest reactions I've ever had in my life uh, while listening to reggae. So try, I don't listen to reggae anymore. Not after that night. I kind of couldn't. While I was being grilled, while I was being interrogated, 
the police dog, one of the police dogs that came down into the storm train system after us, was sitting right next to me, okay, in the interrogation room, literally, like, right next to me. He was sitting, good boy, oh, yeah, like, sitting there, and like, oh, good boy. The dog, like, I kind of reached my hand over to him, oh, okay, he seems okay, so I started petting his head. Now, the handler and the cop that was doing the interrogation was sitting kind of off to the side of me a little bit, and the officer looked at me, you know, officer scared straight over here, looked at me and said, uh, do you think, you like that dog? You think he's nice? I said, yeah, 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 it seems like a pretty nice dog. He stood up, the officer did, grabbed the dog by the collar, said some kind of command, and the dog tried to fucking kill me. I swore that dog fucking, in an instant, went from like, oh, good doggy, good boy, to like fucking just tried to murder me. The officer said another command, the dog stopped, sat down again, calm as can be, said, you still think that dog's nice? And I said, uh, no, sir. No, I sure as fuck didn't. Yeah, I was 17. I was 17. Uh, just a wee babe. Cops called my parents after they let me spend the night in a holding cell. I think I got out at like 6 a.m. This whole thing went down at probably like 2, 2-ish. So, yeah, four hours. Whatever. Not that big of a deal. Mike and Gator had already been released. They gave him trespassing tickets. Basically, you guys get the fuck out of here. They both walked home. And yeah, there we go. My stepdad picked me up. And oh, we had a long talk well, well, well into the next morning about the devil and some of the music I listened to, like suicidal tendencies and um, all kinds of stupid bullshit that had, had absolutely nothing to do with fucking the Ziggy Marley we were listening to whatsoever and smoking weed. Dude, we were smoking weed listening to the fucking Marley kid and, you know, all this other shit. No, no, there is no Satan involved in that whatsoever. Well, after that, I had to go through a program called Juvenile Diversion. That was basically group counseling for delinquent youth that they were trying to keep you from fucking up even more. I had had a few other tickets for trespassing, skateboarding where you weren't supposed to, some run-ins with the law. So they had this program that was set up to keep you from continuing to fuck up. I didn't have any drug arrests or anything like that. I was clean. I smoked weed every once in a while. And that was really about it. Yeah, minor shit. Never even got like possession of alcohol ticket or anything like that either. Not like nothing remotely like that. So these counseling sessions, I mean, it, not really very interesting. You had to sit in there and explain how you weren't going to be a fuck up anymore. But one of those skateboarding tickets is actually a pretty funny story. We were skating in Balboa Park in San Diego and a cop rolled up on horseback and gave me a ticket, you know, singled me out of like four dudes and gave me a ticket. And all the while, tourists were taking pictures of the cop on horseback, writing a ticket to me. Oh, look at the cop. Oh, look at this poor asshole kid getting a ticket. You know, fuck you, tour. Fuck you guys, man. That was bullshit. Thanks a lot. I had to go to court for that. Yeah, I actually had to go to court for that ticket. The judge, you know, I had to sit there through. My last name starts with an M. I think they went fucking alphabetical. I don't know because I sat there for like two hours before I got called before the judge. All these cases of like drug possession, assault, like kind of gnarly, heavier shit, like misdemeanor stuff. But, you know, I mean, it was a lot gnarlier than the, what I was there for. When I went before the judge, she read the charge. Let's see. Here's, that's my paper. That's her like reading the paper. Uh, took 
kind of tipped her reading glasses down, looked at me and, and said, really? And I said, yeah, yeah, skateboarding in public, we're prohibited. <sighs> she sighed and said, $25 fine. Don't ride your skateboard where you're not supposed to. And she started fucking laughing at me. <laughs> I was like, okay, she was a pretty nice judge. I really liked her a lot. Oh, my mom had to take me down there because I was 17. We thought we were going to get like a $200 fine. So, yeah, I got off really, really easy. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you, Judge. You you were an honorable and good judge, by the way. The last story of this episode is the grandest. This is the cream of the crop. This is the most fucked up story of this episode. I did save the best one for last, by the way. I believe it was 1988, and I was 18 years old. Gator invited Mike and I to the annual Action Sports Retail Trade Show in Long Beach to just hang out with him and party and have a good time. We brought our friend Brandon along with us, and we all drove up to Long Beach from Escondido in Gator's car. And we got there. Gator had to do some pro skater thing, whatever pro skaters would do. You know, he probably had to hang out at the Vision booth, sign autographs. I fuck, who knows, whatever. Brandon, Mike, and I all went skating around downtown Long Beach all day, kind of wandered around the trade show, checking things out, and just, you know, kind of, it was kind of boring, to be honest with you. We had, eh, whatever. After the trade show ended, Gator was like, all right, let's, let's go. Let's party. Okay. So we started, we went and got some beer, started drinking a lot. Gator and Mike got fucking shit-faced so fast. You know, the trade show ended, I don't know, five or six. By like eight o'clock, those two, they were fucked up. Brandon and I were like kind of, we were drinking, but not super heavy. So yeah, as I said, Gator and Mike were totally shit-faced. We go into this hotel that was kind of attached to the Long Beach Convention Center. And there's Christian Hosoy sitting with a bunch of people, pro skater Christian Hosoy. All around rad dude. Super nice dude. Gator introduces us. He's super nice. Christian's girlfriend is right there. She's super nice. Mike was so wasted. So he was like rolling around on the ground, ready to barf. Like, oh my God. Oh, so his girlfriend was like, oh, you poor baby. So he crawled over to her and put his head in her lap. And she started petting him like a little puppy dog. Oh, so, so cute. So precious. So precious. And uh, Hasoy was looking on in in amusement, I believe, is the best way to describe the expression on his face. Not rage or anger, which is good. He was a nice dude. No, really, like a really nice dude. He was just slightly amused by the situation. Gator managed to wrangle Mike up and out of Hasoy's girlfriend's lap. And we looked for a way out to continue the party. We went out on this pedestrian bridge. It kind of joined this hotel with a parking garage. And the idea, I think, was let's go skate down this parking garage and go see if we can find some more beer and continue on having fun. But before we could get to the parking garage, Mike and Gator decided, well, they had to pee really bad. And we're standing on this bridge. It's like two stories up over kind of a driveway that led to the parking garage So they started peeing just right through the railing of this bridge onto the roadway below and directly onto the heads of two very large gentlemen, very muscly and large gentlemen, probably on steroids. In fact, 
those gentlemen, they did not appreciate getting peed on. And they vocally, they voiced their opposition to getting their heads peed on by, you know, the very drunk Mike and Gator up above. Uh, Mike and Gator started yelling back at him. Before you know it, both Mike and Gator were in headlocks by these beefed out dudes uh, and in danger of a, some very severe ass whoopings. Brandon and I, to our credit, did rush in and say, hey, 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 whoa, 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 like tried to break it up. And I grabbed one of the meathead dude's arms, the guy that had Mike in the headlock, like grabbed his arm with both my hands and tried to like pull his arm back. And I couldn't fucking, but it was like touching like a steel cord. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, um, yeah, I'm not going to try and fight you. I, I do want to live through this night. Eventually, after a minute or so, they let go. A bunch of people came out like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and Brandon and I are still standing there going, hey, let them go, let them go. They're fucking morons. They're stupid. They didn't know what they're doing. Don't listen to them. They're idiots. Don't, don't. They let them go. You know, apologies were mumbled by Mike and Gator, and we went on our merry little way. At some point in this evening, we met a dude who owned a skate shop in Denver, Colorado, and he kind of latched onto us, and he followed along for all the fun that we were in store for. We called him John Denver because, A, he was from Denver. Okay, good reason right there. B, the dude fucking looked like the spitting image of John Denver. He had those weird little round glasses and that weird kind of bowl, the kind of dirty blonde hair. Like, he looked like fucking John Denver. He was really weird. So we called him John Denver. Duh, duh, there you go. We were cruising around with John Denver, looking for beer, looking for more trouble, apparently. Saw a couple other dudes who were drunk wandering around. They're all, hey, fucking Gator, man, Gator. What's up, bro? Oh, Gator, hey, come hang out. You guys got any beer? Oh, yeah, man. Oh, here we go couple more joined our party of uh, idiots. We stumbled upon one of those parking lot tram things. You know what those are? It, it was like, it's like kind of a big golf cart in the front where the driver sits. It might even have had a gas engine. Oh, I think it did have a gas engine. Yeah, yeah, I think it did. And had three long, like, cars, like a train attached to the driving part or the engine. Let's just call it that like it's a train engine of this parking lot tram. Now, these are pretty long cars attached to the back, probably 10 bench seats. You know, picture the things they used to have at Disneyland when they had a parking lot at Disneyland. Oh, well, now they still do. I mean, from the parking garage, you have to take this tram. They're not that long. They're only like three cars attached to this thing, right? So we go, oh, yeah, let's take the parking tram, parking lot tram out for a ride. That'll be a great, great time. Great. So Gator hops in the car part, the engine part, tries to start it. Well, there's no key. It takes a key. So me, I, Bob, decided that, well, let me look. Let me help you guys. Look, let's look for the key. Open the hood, find the key taped on top of the battery. Take the key off of the battery, hand it to Gator. <sighs> off we went, seven of us. Yes, we all piled into this thing. Gator's driving, flying down the streets downtown Long Beach, I don't know, maybe one in the morning, something like that. Fucking the streets are deserted. There's nobody out, nobody down there at all. John Denver sat in one of the cars, and I'm sure that dude was thinking to himself, what the fuck did I get myself into? Like, what am I fucking doing? What led my life up to this point? Uh, the party guys that we had met were just sitting in a chair, like with a 12-pack of beer going, 
woo, woo, woo. Yeah, like totally. Oh, they were stoked. They were having a great time. Mike and I thought it would be a good idea to climb all around on the sides of this the very rapidly moving parking lot tram through the streets of downtown Long Beach, Road Warrior style, climbing all around the sides, trying as hard as we could to get hurt or fucking killed. Yeah. So we're racing around, and we see a cop in one of the deserted streets of downtown Long Beach. Oh, fuck. Shit. Let's go. All right. Hey, Gator, we got to go, go, go. Let's ditch this thing. Let's go. Stop. Let's get the fuck out of here. Okay. We're going to stop this thing now. Gator drives over a set of the wrong way, do not enter spikes. They're gone now. They don't have those things out anymore. Too many people probably popped all four of their tires and sued the shit out of whoever put them there. So, yeah. Oh, he drove this huge tram over the wrong way spikes, the wrong way, flattened almost all the tires on this thing. He was fucking hauling ass in this thing, completely lost control of it, and slammed into a planter, probably going, you know, I don't know. I'm guessing maybe around 20 miles an hour. A pretty quick clip. Mike and I are hanging on to the sides of the cars on this parking lot tram. And when he hit that part, that planter, that fucking thing came to a complete dead stop instantaneously. We both launched probably 10, 15 feet. I mean, just <laughs> sailing through the air, hit the ground, you know, eh. We both got up. We were okay. Totally fine. We both ate shit into the asphalt. And we got, that's what years of eating shit on a skateboard taught us. And also we were drunk. If we hadn't been drunk, we probably would have gotten fucked up. Like we probably would have gotten hurt, like broke things. But no, we were like, you know, like rubber dolls. Like just, I don't know. We were okay. <laughs> we were okay. Oh, boy. So we ran. We got like, let's fucking go. Oh, dude. We all split and like. The party dudes like went one way, and the five of us went another way. John Denver decided he was going to stick with us. I don't know why. Maybe he thought we were going to keep him safe. I have no idea. That was not a good move on his part. Somehow, we talked him, John Denver that is, into letting us stay in his hotel room that night. And he said, okay, yeah, you guys can. Oh, I mean, that guy saw how fucking stupid we were. Like, we were willing to steal a hotel's parking lot tram and go joyriding around and fucking almost, like, pretty much destroy it. Um, Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, you guys can stay in my room. Oh, he got what he deserved. No, no, he did. Because, hold on. Here's how it comes. Gator had star power. I think that's what it was. He was like, whoa, Gator. He's like a rock star, dude. Like a totally famous guy. I'm telling you, I think that's why we got in there. When we got to his room, he had there was alcohol in the room. Oh, when we kept drinking, Gator started doing wall plants. You know, remember wall plants? You would kind of do like a one-handed handstand, run your feet up the wall while you're on one hand with your board in the other hand and put it on your feet. And he kicked several huge fucking holes in the drywall in this hotel room. I mean, he, speaking of rock stars, he fucked this dude's hotel room up. And the poor John Denver dude's like, hey, Gator, stop. Stop, man. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and eventually Mike's like passed out in the corner. Yeah, he's fucking totally out. I think Brandon and I kind of talked to Gator down like, hey, 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 dude, don't. We're, where are we going to go if we can't stay in this room? Like, don't fuck this up. Eventually Gator quieted down. 
and went to sleep, passed out. Uh, next morning, we said our goodbyes to a very regretful-looking John Denver. Uh, didn't look real happy with us, and we drove home. Mike did barf all over the side of Gator's car on the ride home. Gator pulled over, pissed off, and made just this barely functional Mike clean his puke off the side of the car, just going, man, that shit eats it's a fucking paint. Clean that up. Clean your puke. You motherfucker, clean that shit up. Oh, dude, yeah, it was like, fuck. Oh, this guy's fucking nuts. That, yeah, that was one of the clues where I was like, actually, the speeding car thing, that was one clue. The speeding car thing was definitely a clue going 100 miles an hour down this really normally busy street. Luckily, there were no cars on it in the middle of Escondido in the middle of the night, you know, running all these red lights. That was fucking scary, dude. I mean, even for a stupid kid like me, this is where I'm like, we're starting to go, oh shit, like this guy's, I think he's a little fucking nuts, man. I think he really is. I am amazed to this day that something really, really bad didn't happen to us that night, like dying on the tram or getting beat to fucking pieces by those muscle bound dudes that they peed on. I, dude, I can believe we dodged that bullet. I don't know how. I don't know how. That's going to about do it for this one. I We did have more adventures with Gator. Many more. In fact, uh, I'm trying to keep the episodes down a little bit so I don't drag on for almost two hours. So I'm not going to get into more. Maybe sometime in the future, you will hear more about Gator in the series finale, Skate Destroy Part 3, coming up very soon. There's a quick teaser. Something I want to talk about, about that episode that's coming up, though. One of the stories that's going to come out in episode three of this finale, something to look forward to is how Mike and I and Gator and this up and coming like kid that Gator knew that was this kid was going pro. We were all on a Saturday morning TV show that aired with like the Saturday morning cartoons on CBS. And it came on right after Pee Wee's Playhouse. And this film crew followed us around and filmed us skating at this pool and kind of in all these different spots in Escondido. And it was really actually kind of cool. I will, God, I hope I can find out the name of that show. You know, this episode's probably not going to come out at least for another three weeks or so. Hopefully, I'll have more info on that. The ending of the series that's coming up, like I said, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while before it comes out. It's more than an end of just this series. It's going to really detail the end of my friendship with Gator and also the end of my skateboarding days. Like, I, after... Yeah, it all kind of happened at the same time. The friendship with Gator ended, and I was working like crazy, so I kind of stopped skateboarding. I, I dabble in it. Hell, I went skating last weekend at um, the little skate park in EG at Eden Gardens in the Solana Beach area. That's a rad little park, so I'm still at it. Uh, definitely not as serious as I was before. Not nearly like it was in the late 80s where it was like my whole life, but yeah, okay. Skateboarding, it is in my blood. I swear, I'm like total skate junkie. That's me. You have a skate junkie. Thank you so, so much for listening. I did have a lot of fun going through these old stories. There was some sad stuff in here I really didn't focus on or talk about because it's very sensitive to the people involved. Also, the gator thing weirds me out a little bit. You know, like just talking about it now made me like even take a closer look at it in my mind and go, Man, I, it was the part where I was talking about Gator making Mike clean his puke off the side of his car and how shitty he was about it that makes me think, man, that motherfucker was going crazy, like 
long before he committed that fucking horrible crime. I'm serious. Like I said, not trying to glorify this guy in any way, shape, or form. Period. Zero, zero glorifying of Gator at all. Just telling my story. This is my story, and he was a big part of it for a while. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be leaving you with one more seven-second song. This is another one of my favorite seven-second songs in a series. I have a lot of favorite seven-second songs. This one's up there near the top. This song is Seven Seconds cover version of 99 Red Balloons. Don't hate. Don't talk shit. I fucking love this song so much, and I have ever since I first heard it. Oh, dude, I love it. I also love the Nana version of it, the original performer of the song. I absolutely love that song, too. Thank you again so much to Kevin Seconds for the words, letting me use the songs. I appreciate it so, so much. Thank you for listening to episode 36 of the Bobcast, Skate and Destroy Part 2. Here's 7 Seconds with 99 Red Balloons. You and I in a little toy shop Buy a bag of balloons With the money we've got Set them free at the break of dawn To one by one They were gone The I got fast in the software Blast the message Something's out there Floating in the summer sky 99 Red balloons go by
jet balloon. It's all over and I'm standing pretty in this dust that was a city. I can find a souvenir just to prove the war was here.